Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 131 being recorded on Thursday, May 10th, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, our podcast schedule did not allow for it, so we missed May 4th, so I'm going to use this opportunity to... Hit rewind, go in the time machine, and wish you a uh, late, happy May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Thanks. Uh, as I hope you know, I was thinking of you on May 4th. I was kind of sad that we didn't get a chance to talk, and I was carefully following your social media feeds to see if you would like post any any pictures of you like with memorabilia or in costume or something. So what what, what did you do for May 4th? Yeah, I'm so first of all, I don't know if you know or not, but May 4th is kind of a controversy in the hardcore Star Wars community. Uh, I don't I don't have a lot of passion around this, but a lot of people feel like it's kind of like our Hallmark holiday in the Star Wars world because the movie came out on May 25th. So everyone's like, what the heck, May 4th? Yeah, it's a funny pun, but we should really be celebrating May 25th. Uh, so just some fun diversion Star Wars factor for cocktail parties. Uh, so I celebrated, uh, by first I do have, I, I'm not a cosplayer, so I was not uh, princess Leia or, or anything this year. Uh, but I do have some pretty awesome, uh, Crocs from our friends at Crocs. I have some stormtroopers and some chewies this year. I decided to wear the stormtroopers, uh, which was exciting. Uh, and then I have a new Han Solo movie jacket that I got. That's pretty cool. It's kind of a retro seventies kind of kickback jacket. Uh, the exciting thing for me on May 4th was I had, uh, an inkling that tickets would go on sale for the Han Solo movie. So I was able to jump on those, work some Fandango magic and secure a, a kind of good set of tickets for, Myself and a bunch of friends. So, going to go see that on the 24th at 7 p.m. You're welcome to fly in from Chicago and see it with us. We'd love to have you. If I can so get just a seat. hall pass from my wife, I'm totally doing it. You can bring her and baby geek. We got room for all you guys. That would be fun. Uh, in honor of you, I missed May 4th, uh, but on May 5th, I took baby geek uh, to Toys R Us because I was kind of worried uh, that he was never going to get to go to a Toys R Us. Um, and I, I tried very hard to uh, interest him in the, the land speeder, but I, I uh, it was not a sale. Oh. Yeah, he... But it just couldn't, didn't like it, no? So we spent, like, so uh, he he's very into vehicles, so we spent about four hours in the little electric vehicle section of Toys R Us. <laughs> um, and, like, I... Like, uh, he, he drove everything from the like frozen themed, uh, beetle through the, the yellow Lamborghini. Um, and he, he, on his own volition picked this, uh, GM, uh, Silverado two seater pickup truck, which, oh. yeah, which made my, my in-laws from uh, Flint, Michigan, uh, extremely, extremely proud. And, uh, so we, we bought this the Tesla of, uh, of toys, right? Like it's an electric vehicle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. uh, I am now officially the last member of, uh, this, this, uh, longstanding Detroit family to build a GM vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> cool. He's got a little pickup truck. He can put a little shotgun on the back there. Exactly. Wear a little cowboy hat. Yeah. There's no gun rack yet, but let me just say, so we live right across the street from a park. So we drive it over to that park um, and he's already picked up about uh, four ladies that he's taken for a ride. So like, he was very smart to have gone the two-seater. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. I'd say chip off the old block, but that's way more advanced than the block, the original block. <laughs> four hours in a Toys R Us is a, that's pretty, that's a long time in a Toys R Us. Was it, um, so tell me about, you guys are, they're obviously liquidating it. Was it, was it kind of, the ones I've been in, it's been super depressing. <laughs> How was yours? Uh, well, so I, I find Toys R Us just, depress like before they went bankrupt they were somewhat depressing because like you have all these fun childhood memories and it's just not that fun or inspirational of a environment these days 
Um, but this particular store, I'd say, is early in the liquidation. So it it absolutely felt like like they had a full inventory of stuff in the store. It didn't feel like the the selection was thinning at all. And, you know, the deals weren't super deep yet. Um, so it was, you know, uh, he, my son will never remember the trip, but it was fun for me to say I took him and I, I do think he had a really good time. And you have pictures and a, uh, and a pickup truck. So it's good. Exactly. Uh, a pickup truck that by the way, like doesn't fit in my condo. Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So you had to pay for a parking spot. I am, I am bartering with a neighbor to share one of their extra spots. Yes. <laughs> It's going to be like the most expensive toy you've ever bought. Well, and Great. the U-Haul truck I had to rent to drive it home. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, it wouldn't be a Jason Scott show without some Amazon news. But today we are going to start with Walmart news because they have been ruling the headlines. Uh, two big transactions. So first of all, about two weeks ago, go, rumors started swirling that they were looking to divest of their UK grocery uh, brand, which I think is Asda. Is that how you say it? Or is exactly it ASDA? Right. Nope, Asda. Asda. Yep. Uh, and they ended up selling that for $10 billion to Sansbury. So that's interesting because they bought that five to eight years ago. And it hasn't really grown. It's been kind of a growth anchor for them. So, you know, that that has been a bit of a black eye. I don't know what they paid for it. I think I think it was pretty even. So I think they sold it for about what they paid for. But it, it hasn't been a huge success. Um, so then on the heels of that, they turned around and this week acquired uh, the majority share of Flipkart. Um, India has very strict rules around foreign ownership. So they, I, my understanding is they can't own 100% of it yet. There's some path to 100%, uh, but they bought 77% for $16 billion. And I think if you do the math on that, it vets out to a value of 20 to $22 billion total for, for a flip cart. Uh, so you know they, they kind of exited the UK and then went into India with the proceeds. Uh, it was an interesting discussion on CNBC. So you know this is, um, here we are, it's been just you know, a couple of weeks since Amazon announced their first quarter, which which we covered on the show, was just amazing. And uh, if you remember my free cash flow discussion, they're just pumping billions of dollars. You know, sixteen billion dollars is about what they're spending in two quarters just for growth at Amazon, just just out of free cash flow. So, um, and uh, so interesting CNBC discussion because what happened is the Walmart stock did not react well to this transaction, and and it is hard too because it's kind of like. We did the M&A. It didn't work out. So we're selling it. And the good news is we came, came out relatively unscathed in the UK. Uh, and by the way, we're going to take this plus $6 billion more and we're going to buy something even smaller in India. So so they don't disclose the revenue of Flipkart or the GMV, but, but you know. All indications would be that it's not as large as as Asda or, you know, uh, even close to sixteen billion dollars. I would, you know, the last I've heard is like two to five billion in GMV, and then if you kind of put a fifteen percent take rate on that, you know, this is a smaller, you know, sub billion dollar business revenue wise, probably. So pretty interesting. Uh, and then you know, the the normal discussion ensues, which is it's not fair. Amazon gets to spend so much, but Walmart doesn't. So it's kind of interesting to see that play out with this transaction, where you see, you know, I don't know how involved he was. You may have some insight into that, but this this is a very much feels like Mark Laurie kind of saying, look, we we got to be aggressive in India. We got to get out in front of Amazon and outflank them. And and you know, you're not going to do that in UK grocery. Um, we need to be in India. So um, it feels like. They're doing the right things and they're not getting credit, which I'm sure must be frustrating inside. A uh, couple more quick things there. Uh, eBay was kind of a big winner in this because uh, about six months ago, they invested $500 million um, into Flipkart. They folded uh, eBay.in into it, um, and then now that – Position is worth 1.5 billion, so a nice three bagger or three x of their money, um, and I think they got free to go. And it's not clear if they're just going to kind of spin it off or relaunch, but but they'll come back into India as eBay.in with uh, a nice war chest from the transaction. So so kudos to the corporate development team at eBay. Hopefully they're uh, at least enjoying some uh, extra pizza or something like that. Jason, what did you think about this deal? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, just as a reminder to listeners, uh, the reason that this gets so much play is, is uh, you know, India is a potentially huge market, second most populous country in the world, um, you know, in a, a, a rapidly uh, evolving um, 
population with with enhanced spending power and very little um, commerce penetration, very little e-commerce penetration in the country. So tons of growth. Um, And so, you know, Flipkart is the biggest player, but Amazon has been trying to indigenously uh, build a business in in India. And Amazon is already the second biggest player in India and is actually growing faster, I think, than Flipkart. Um, So it's interesting. You know, Amazon tried to indigenously uh, compete in China, and that didn't go very well. Um, and so a lot of, you know, people are like, oh, you know, they won't repeat that mistake in India. And, and you know, so there's a lot of rumors that Amazon was bidding against Amazon or Amazon was bidding against Walmart for Flipkart. Um, a lot of us speculated. I don't know where you were on this, Scott, but, you know, I assumed Walmart was going to get it because in my mind, Amazon um, was only uh would have been interested in Flipkart if it was a good value. Like they they had no interest in overpaying uh, on some strategic basis for Flipkart. Whereas, you know, I feel like Walmart really, you know, does have an interest in uh, establishing some some global credibility. You know, Walmart wasn't particularly successful in China, uh, you know, uh, struggled in the mature market in the UK and flipped Asda. And so kind of felt like, you know, we've seen Amazon reach for acquisitions before like Jet and uh, or Walmart rather. And it wasn't surprising to see him reach again this time. And so part of me almost wonders if Amazon sort of intentionally tried to bid him up a little bit. Yeah. There was some talk on CNBC that Amazon bid 2 billion above the 16. Um, but the founders chose the Walmart bid, uh, and it wasn't really clear what was going on with that. So I don't know if that was just rumor or if that had been actually officially reported and I couldn't find it in writing anywhere. So, um, but I, I do think Amazon, you know, you know, was either really interested in it or, uh, you know, it was kind of a win-win or they made Walmart really pay up for it. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how it plays out. The one thing I did, I do believe is um, that Walmart was a more attractive buyer uh, because there's less likelihood of um, regulatory impediments um, because Amazon is the number two player. If they were to acquire the number one player, uh, there there would have been some some uh, uh, further regulatory hurdles in in India. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so maybe that was just a safer safer way for the uh, for uh, SoftBank and and company to get their money back. Um, so it'd be interesting. Will Amazon? Is there anyone else that Amazon would want to uh, buy there, or will they just you know continue to go it alone and try to do better than they did in China? There's always been kind of a third player snap deal. And in that round I talked about uh, where eBay invested 500 million, um, there was rumors they were going to merge. They didn't. And I haven't really heard much about snap deal lately. So that may be something Amazon could pick up, you know, probably relatively cheap now because they're kind of left at the party without a chair and the music has stopped. So, um, but I don't know if they really want to. Amazon, you know, their acquisition strategy is primarily to get into something they don't have. And they already have a marketplace. They've invested heavily in FBA for that marketplace. One of the rules in India is you can't operate 1P as a foreign entity. Uh, and I think Flipkart has enough foreign investors. They can't be 1P. So all these are pure, what I would call a pure marketplace model, meaning they don't have a retail component. Um, uh, so both Flipkart and Amazon have been furiously building out fulfillment centers, though, to help their seller bases. I don't think Snapdeal had the investment uh, to do that, and they got left behind. So, so they, they're kind of the distant third player there. That you know, on paper, Amazon could pick them up to you know kind of continue to be ahead, uh, but I think they'll just go at their own. Yeah, I feel like in a lot of markets, you would uh, you'd potentially acquire a local company because that uh, would would uh, get you licensed to operate more as a local company. But I think India has these strict rules about ownership percentages that mean like even if Snapdeal were an indigenous Indian company and Amazon acquired them, they would then no longer be considered indigenous. Um, the The fulfillment side is interesting too, because one of the challenges in India is uh, not just lack of fulfillment centers, it's lack of infrastructure overall. It's, it's roads and delivery services and it's a very fragmented market. And so I, my my sense is that the Amazon efforts uh, and the FBA are poten- potentially super lucrative because literally like they're building a whole capability that, you know, it's not like if you don't use Amazon, you would just use UPS to deliver this stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So that's interesting. And then I guess the one, you know, if, if Amazon really wanted to spend some money to jumpstart their presence in India, the other thing that would be interesting is there is a big payments player there, which is uh, Paytm. Um, I have no idea if they are for sale. I think that's a, you know, big investment from SoftBank and Tencent. Um, but that, you know, payments tend to be a big driver of of uh, digital commerce platforms. And obviously in, in China, like I would argue uh, that Tencent and Alipay are, are, uh, you know, big drivers. And so you, you could imagine that would be a strategic place to invest in India as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so some other Walmart news, um, they, we talk uh, a lot about, uh, retailer strategies in general towards what I call owned brands. So essentially, uh, creating brands that are exclusive to the retailer that, you know, usually are a lot more than private label. It's a, an aspirational van, uh, brand with its own positioning and marketing. Um, and Walmart launched a new one of those uh, last month called Allswell Home, which is kind of their uh, home goods brand. Uh, it's uh, bedding and mattresses. Um, and uh, in and of itself, that would have been interesting. That gets added to the stable of brands they bought, like Bonobos and ModCloth. Uh, but one of the things that I found interesting about All's Well Home is that Walmart actually launched a standalone URL. So rather than selling All's Well on Walmart.com or even selling it on Jet.com, uh, you buy All's Well from AllsWellHome.com. Uh, and so that is a sort of further step in the own brand uh, play than we've seen before. Like, you know, Cat and Jack from Target's a super successful brand, but it doesn't have its own URL. Uh, Rocketfish is a super successful brand at, at uh, uh, Best Buy. It doesn't have its own URL. Like even, you know, the world's most successful own brand, uh, Alexa, um, you know, obviously owned by Amazon, like it doesn't have its own URL. So interesting to, you know, to see if that's a, a trend that we see more of is these brands launching with their own URLs. And uh, an, a particularly interesting to me inside baseball thing, uh, Walmart has built a super robust e-commerce platform that they've you know spent billions of dollars developing over time called Pangea. Um, and when they launched this allswellhome.com, uh, allswellhome is running on Shopify. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so... Yeah, a lot of people use Shopify to launch kind of a microsite. One clarification on Alexa is Amazon does own the URL; they just don't sell Alexas on it. Yeah, it, sorry. like yeah, you 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 obviously know, but like if if people haven't looked, uh, Alexa was this company Amazon acquired. This goes back into the '90s, I'm pretty sure, like '98, '99, uh, and you would uh, web. Web users would uh, – web masters would install a set of tools from Alexa and it would help them rank various websites and you would see your rank. So it's kind of this shared um, metrics kind of thing. Uh, not many people use it today because the the data is pretty – you know, sketchy. Uh, and, but Amazon owned the URL and the brand. So they used that when they came up with the product, they, I guess they looked in their suite of trademarks that they owned and picked that one out to, to have the Alexa brand come out. Yeah. Uh, and I think they use it as like a B2B site for Alexa, right? Like, isn't it more for like people that want to partner in the ecosystem? Well, now, so Alexa still has this traffic kind of thing. Um, and they've tried to turn it into a marketing stack. So it's kind of a PPC tool kind of a thing. A lot of the companies that did some of these metrics have pivoted that way. Um, like a lot of the comparison shopping engines have gone that way, like Nextag. Um, but the, a lot of them don't have a ton of traction. I've never heard of anyone using the Alexa tool suite. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, in addition to this new Allswell Home website, Walmart also launched a pretty substantial redesign of Walmart.com. Um, and it's uh, uh, somewhat controversial, like it's a, a very minimalist design that, you know, doesn't have a real loud Walmart branding to it. So it, uh, the spark is what they Walmart calls the, the sort of Starburst logo. Um, and, uh, you know, once you scroll down from the homepage, uh, you, you get a very minimalist uh, a search bar at the, the top of the, the site with just the spark and no, the, the word Walmart doesn't show up anywhere. Yeah, this freaked me out because I was working on a presentation and I was going to you know, do a screenshot of a Walmart marketplace 
And I was looking at it, I was like, how is anyone going to know this is Walmart? They're going to have to recognize the spark because the word Walmart literally kind of, once you leave the homepage, it melts away and there's no, uh, you know, the menu becomes a hamburger menu. So it's kind of an interesting, you know, they moved the mobile metaphor to the desktop and yeah, it's, it's kind of, kind of wild. Uh, and then, you know, as you scroll and shop, you have this persistent search bar, hamburger menu and spark, which takes you back to walmart.com, but they really have no corporate branding. So a couple of interesting things. So it's kind of saying, you know, we we want to give you more space for uh, search results than our corporate brand. And then also, you know, there's not a lot of browse here. So once you leave the homepage and get into search results, there's not, you know, um, there's not even like a lot of breadcrumbs. I found I got a little lost there. It took me a while to kind of like get familiar with what's going on. Um, so it's a little bit jarring, but it's interesting. Uh, and I'm, I was doing it on a desktop. I'm sure it's great on mobile. I bet on mobile it's, it's kind of, you know, feels really good on desktop. It feels kind of strange. It just kind of takes a little while to get used to. Yeah. Uh, I, I think overall it's way more visual. So images are much more prominent and bigger. And, you know, for example, like on the PDPs, the, the skew images are take up way more real estate than they used to. And so I, I, you know, I think that's part of shrinking that bar down is to, to have more real estate for the images. Um, and then, you know, the thing that Mark Laurie has really hit on in the new design is, uh, that it's substantially more personalized for each individual visitor, but also for, um, each, uh, skew category. So you go to department landing pages and they, there's a lot of rich editorial content that's, you know, very different on the dog food from home, from apparel and all those sorts of things. Um, so pretty big evolution for Walmart. Uh, the thing I've seen most people complain about is not the lack of branding. Uh, grocery is super prominent on it and there's a grocery button and it takes you a separate URL with a completely different design aesthetic. Um, so I think they've, uh, that's been the big uh, critique I, I have seen of the site. Um, but I, I believe the grocery refreshes in flight as well. So I suspect they'll, they'll match up eventually. Um, and then, uh, some other news on Walmart last mile, uh, they've added some new delivery partners and they're phasing out some of their old delivery partners. So, so, uh, about a year ago, Walmart, uh, you know, announced that they were doing a lot of um, at-home delivery for both groceries and general merchandise, and they announced uh, Lyft and Uber as as initial partners. Um, and it now looks like they're phasing both of those uh, vendors out. Um, they they have used several third-party deliveries, uh, other delivery services. They added Postmates to it. Um, and then an interesting one to me is they added DoorDash as a grocery delivery partner. And the reason that's interesting is, uh, uh, prior to this, I've never seen DoorDash deliver anything but restaurants. Yeah. And when we saw them at shop talk, they, uh, you know, they were talking about their reason restaurants love them is they only do food. So yeah, uh, you know, prepared meals being food, like restaurant food. So they, the kind of, uh, I guess when Walmart com calls you, you, you take that phone call. Yeah. And I, uh, <laughs> my recollection was that the CEO for, um, cheesecake factory was highlighting why they were such a good partner because they only did food. And I, I suspect that the CEO of, uh, DoorDash already knew that he was in the throes of a Walmart deal and was probably not, not appreciating that getting highlighted so much. Um, but it, it is interesting, you know, there are all these delivery services, tons of people are outsourcing delivery right now. Like one of the interesting things, it seems like uh, Walmart is picking players that are willing to provide the delivery service, but don't insist on owning the the delivery interface. Um, so, you know, essentially that would provide delivery as sort of an API, if you will, so that Walmart could own the digital interface. Um you know, the big delivery service that Walmart has never partnered with is Instacart. And, you know, part of the speculation why is that Instacart, you know, uh, so far has seems like they've always insisted on being the the front end for all the orders that are fulfilled through Instacart. Got it. So they're really just using the 1099 workers that these folks have. You go to Walmart or in the app, you do your groceries and it's delivered by one of these guys. Um, pretty probably unbranded, I would imagine. Right. Because you're not using their apps. Yeah. Um, just, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, it's to a white the, label a delivery service. Courier. 
Uh, and it is, you know, these are all pilots in different markets at the moment. And I, uh, there is a, a pretty substantial pilot that actually does use Walmart W-2 employees. Um, and this was a, a system where they essentially, like, offered an additional gig to all of the existing uh, Walmart employees to, you know, also do deliveries. Uh, um, and I think there was some controversy that, you know, like when they first announced this, people sort of misunderstood it and thought Walmart wasn't wasn't going to be paying their employees for these deliveries. Got it. Uh, this this reminds me, uh, I forgot to put this in the show notes, but uh, I was at a Target the other day, and it's one of the newer ones, and I noticed they had coned off a part of the parking lot, and uh, it says, it's got this kind of interesting, it's got two arrows, and it says lane one, lane two, and then it's all blocked off, and it says coming soon, uh, you know, pickup area kind of thing. Uh, and then now, since I've done that, pretty much every Target I go to has that, and I've been to probably six Targets, uh, the for quote-unquote field research also known as looking for Star Wars toys. But anyway, uh, the so I was wondering uh, if you know anything what's going on there. Yeah, um, so they've announced a pretty substantial expansion of their curbside pickup program, um, again, for grocery and general merchandise. And as a reminder, uh, maybe 18 months ago, they started a curbside pickup pilot using a vendor called Curbside, um, and they, they abruptly canceled that pilot um, and then uh, uh, fast forward about nine months later, they bought a competitor of curbside called Shipped, um, and so these, so they now own that capability. And so these, these, uh, those drive-through lanes are the new curbside experience that's being uh, managed by Shipped, and that's S H I P T. Um, and Shipped bo- does both curbside pickup for for customers that want to swing by the store and pick them up at their convenience. And they also do do home delivery uh, ship from store uh, on Target's behalf. Okay, so it's not just for shipped couriers. Will shipped couriers go through there too? Uh, I do. N- I don't know. That's a good question. Okay. Um, so I shipped it. is going to walk it from the store to that little curb, not a Target employee. Yeah, well, uh, so shipped our target employees, but so I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I and uh, the pilot isn't exclusively using employees that were formerly shipped. They could be originally target employees. It's using some software and infrastructure that ship bought, so that shipped owned. So one of the big things, curbside pickup sounds really easy, but it, there's actually more complication, right? Like, do you? schedule a time when the customer has to promise to come pick them up or do you use geofencing on the customer's mobile phone if you use geofencing how do you you know avoid taking their groceries out that are perishable out to the curb when the customer just drives by the store to go get gas before they come to the store and uh you know if you're using geofencing in the customer's mobile app how do you avoid like burning through their battery and having the customer um, uninstall your app because it's the the biggest battery hog on the phone. Like there, there are all these edge cases and complications. Um, and so some of these vendors like curbside, uh, and shipped, uh, a big part of their IP is, um, mitigating a bunch of those edge cases. And in, in the case of curbside, they're actually ex Apple employees that were the, the geolocation team at Apple that, that launched curbside. So that's, that's, you know, very much what they highlight is one of their core competencies. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Walmart's curbside, um, you pull up and you call this number and I've people, people rave about it, but there, it does fail a lot of times. Like sometimes you call that number and no one calls, uh, and you know, and sometimes you call it and they have no idea who you are. (laughs) So there's still a lot of kinks in, in making this stuff work. Yeah, all of these retailers are struggling to make them perfect. And I would even say, like, all of them are piloting multiple experiences. So in some Walmarts, there's that SMS experience. There are some Walmarts that are sort of drive-through um, venues. And Walmart even has some pilots where it's uh, curbside off-site. So they have dedicated uh, pickup locations similar to um, the, the like, Amazon uh, uh what is it called? Amazon pickup oh, pickup. Something yes. like that. Yeah. Fresh pickup, I think is actually <laughs> fresh but, pickup. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So lots of different permeations out there. I don't think the world has landed on, on uh, one, but it's a, uh, it's an area where I think all these retailers feel like they can have a differentiated customer experience. If they're the ones that, that can nail it. And to your point, 
it's it's uh can definitely be hit and miss at the moment very cool well it wouldn't be a jason and scott show without some amazon news amazon news your margin is their opportunity Well, the Amazon news I wanted to throw out there, uh, it was kind of a, a quiet week for Amazon. There's only like four or five things going on. Usually there's 10 and we have to cut it back. Uh, the one that's kind of near and dear to my heart is in the auto category. And uh, if you're not a long-term listener, uh, you, you may not realize this, but I am a serial entrepreneur. Uh, my third company was Channel Advisor, started that, still uh, executive chairman there, started that in 2001 uh, and then left around middle of 2015 on a day-to-day basis, but still involved at a board level. Uh, and then uh, started another company called Spiffy, and we are on-demand uh, car care. We started with car washing and detailing, and have added oil change and, and a bunch of other things. We're in five markets, so I'm I'm uh, keenly watching the car care space to understand what's going on there. In the subsection of tires, there's been a lot of interesting things there. There's been a lot of pilots of on-demand tire sales and installation, uh, but that's really hard to do in a mobile kind of a setting because the equipment required to install tires is non-trivial. Uh, and the SKUs involved with tires, uh, we could probably do a, a whole show on this, Jason. Um, you and I have both been involved in auto parts for a while, but it, it is a it is a very complex SKU set, to say the least, uh, just within tires, not even counting all the rest of, of what goes on uh, with, with auto parts around fitment and whatnot. Uh, but this week, there was a really interesting uh, – you know, uh, announcement uh, partnership between Sears and Amazon. This is not the first time these companies have kind of uh, had interactions before. So Sears is actively selling Kenmore and Craftsman uh, on Amazon, and that is allegedly going pretty well. So the way this is going to work is it's a tire partnership. So what you'll be able to do is buy your tires on Amazon and then install them at a Sears for a nominal fee. So this is this is one of the challenges of buying tires online. They're a lot cheaper than if you went to your local tire store. But, you know, uh, if you've ever done this, you literally get a giant cardboard box full of four very heavy tires sent to you. <laughs> and then you, you know, then it's up to you to kind of haul those around and take them to your local tire installer and say, please install these tires that I didn't buy from you. So it, it's a, it's not a great customer experience to say the least. Uh, and no mirror, you know, I'm not, aware of any mere mortals that can install their own tires. That That's a non-trivial problem to solve. So the way this is going to work is they're going to pilot it in 47 uh, of the locations. They're called Sears Auto Centers, and they're going to start in eight cities, uh, and uh, they'll be in 47 of the stores in the eight cities. Now, Sears has 400 locations and 2,100 technicians out there, so they do have a really big footprint uh, around tire installation and auto care. Um, and the way it'll work is this. So you go to Amazon, uh, your Prime user. Uh, they don't explicitly say this, but I'm imagining this will be a Prime-only feature. Um, you select your tires that you want to buy. So let's say you get a nice, lovely um, you know, set of Michelins. It's up to you, the consumer, to figure out. Do they fit on your vehicle or not? Let's put a pin in that. Uh, Then at checkout, you will get an option just like an Amazon locker or something like that where it will say, hey, Jason, you live in Chicago and we have a pilot with the Sears near your house there. uh, And would you like to have these shipped to your Sears Auto Center on one Wacker Lane and have them installed for you? You choose that and then you are given three possible appointment times that you choose. And then when, when you show up at that Sears center at that time, they will install your tires for a nominal fee. You don't have to buy the tires from them, obviously. Um, so, so that's, that sounds good. Uh, and what I have learned the hard way on the stuff is, uh, you know, the, in, in Excel land, I call it, these things work really well and, and go awesome. But, you know, you mentioned the edge cases of curbside. I can think of like 60 edge cases here. Uh, the number one I'm going to call is getting the wrong tires for the vehicle. Um, you know, this is going to be a pretty common thing. Uh, OEMs are getting very specific about tires. So if you, by a Lexus. They have very certain tires they want you to put on there. Um, there's a lot of decisions around if you need one tire, should you buy all four? How do they wear? Uh, you know, 
rotating the tires at the same time, there, there's a lot of complexity there that's just really hard to capture in e-commerce. So that, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, and then the scheduling of this is going to be tricky. The, the other thing that kind of I'm a little skeptical about the whole picture, what, what I've learned about these customers that want, uh, you know, automated car care is they really like convenience and there's not much convenient to me. Like I don't say to myself, Oh wow, I really want to go hang out at the Sears auto center for an hour while they install my tires. So, so that, that's kind of a, you know, of the places that install tires. Now all of mine are, are inside malls, uh, inside Sears, inside of malls. So you're gonna have to deal with mall traffic and mall parking and all that kind of stuff to get in there. Um, so uh, it, I'm going to be interested to see how this plays. Um, but you know, it is good news for Sears. It, any lifeline when you're drowning is helpful. Their stock was up something like 17%. You know, uh, you know, this is like, you know, they're at $3 and they bounced up to like three fifty, and everyone was super excited. Uh, that's like the most their stocks risen in, in years now. Uh, but I'm a little skeptical about the user experience on this one and seeing how they're going to nail it, especially with that. Once Sears takes over the timing of this thing, uh, I'm just not really sure those windows are going to work and, and how engaged the, the Sears low level employees are going to be on it. Yeah. And you you could imagine there's all kind you know, suddenly Sears is competing with Amazon for uh, pricing on the tires that Sears historically sold and all those sorts of things too, right? Like, yeah, there's channel conflict. Now what Sears may be thinking is, okay, at least we got the customer in here. Now we can try to sell them on brakes and an oil. But uh, another thing I have found is when, when you talk to people about car care experiences, the number one experience people hate, especially females is the upsell experience, uh, also known as the Jiffy Lube experience. They hate going in for a $50 oil change and leaving, having spent $400, they come home and their husband's like, what the heck you, you know, why'd you spend $400? And they're like, well, I got, you know, uh, new brakes. I, uh, you know, I balanced and checked the shimmy on every tire and I got a cabin filter and I got the premium oil filter. And so, uh, you know, there, there's actually lawsuits around all this stuff around the, the upselling of these kinds of things to make these services profitable has resulted in a really bad consumer experience. So, um, and then, you know, when I think about, uh, Casey and, and the Deloitte model of the bifurcation, you know, the, the, you know, we deal with this every day at Swiffy. That that customer on the convenience side, who I think is the Amazon Prime user, they like zero friction in their life because Amazon's trained them to have you know, you press two buttons and stuff shows up at your house two days later. What could be more convenient? So it's gonna be interesting to see how smoothly this goes because that customer is really really hard to please. And sending them to a Sears Center where I think there's gonna be some upsell and some challenges is gonna be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's funny. One of the I think probably the original legacy player in this space is Tire Rack, and their model is they they essentially sell you the tire via e-commerce, and then they they put together their own um, network of independent uh, dealers that they ship the tires to, and you go to that dealer, and that dealer would install it for you. And uh, they have some very happy customers, but they they have a lot of unhappy customers. If you read the ratings and reviews, and when you you talk to uh, people, like one of the biggest problems they have is Tire Rack ships those tires to that independent tire dealer and a customer comes in between the time uh, that the customer that bought the tires comes in and the the dealer sells their that, that customer's tires to someone else. <laughs> you can see that happening at Sears too. Yeah, you know, that's what I mean. They don't have them like, gated off, yeah. Yeah, like wow. you, you think about the, the advanced things like Fitment and all these other issues, but like just simple like, you know, commingling of inventory and those kinds of things could all all be challenges that will have to get worked out. Uh, any other Amazon news outside of tires? Um, there's, you know, we had mentioned on the show that Kohl's and Amazon are partnered. Uh, give us an update on that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, last year Kohl's announced this pilot where you could, uh, bring Amazon purchases to a Kohl's store to return them. And they essentially became a return center for Amazon. Uh, that's now in 42 stores and at their, their quarterly earnings call, um, they, the CEO called that program a home run and uh, essentially said that they had a discernible increase in traffic in all the stores that accepted Amazon returns. Um, and that, that seems totally viable to me. That's a felt like a win-win. It's one of the rare partner with Amazon cases where, as far as I, I can tell, Kohl's really isn't giving up any data to Amazon, right? So it's not like 
Amazon is getting to to meet and steal a Kohl's customer as a result of this. This is really Kohl's getting to meet an Amazon customer and, and gets an opportunity to to surprise and delight them and sell them something when they bring their Amazon uh, returns in. Um, and sounds like like it's working well for them so far. Uh, much earlier, but uh, this this month, uh, Chico started selling their apparel on Amazon. And uh, uh, Shelly Broder, the CEO there, um, you know, is saying that that uh, immediately after the product went live on Amazon, they're seeing an uptick in traffic to the stores. And so they they literally feel like uh, by virtue of being on the Amazon platform, they're getting an opportunity to introduce the Chico's brand to a bunch of prime customers for the first time, which is then uh, driving more sales to the stores and uh, Chico's lets you buy an Amazon return in a Chico store, so they're getting some visits that way. And, and uh, that that seems interesting. I, I guess I'm more skeptical in the Chico story than I am the Cole story. Um, but yeah, the the one I'm I'm skeptical too. Uh, as you're saying that, what occurred to me uh, was the podcast we had uh, with Darrell Juvenile, where they had done a fair amount of AMS and AMG, uh, and it drove store. You know, traffic for them. Uh, they don't own stores, but it drove like downstream Costco, Walmart, Target kind of visits. So I could see where I think it could make sense is if as part of this launch, Chico's went and they not only bought, you know, a bunch of headline search terms for like Chico's, but, you know, maybe now you're starting to browse Amazon and you're seeing, you know, uh, women's blouse and pants and skirt. And now people, you know, you just having listings wouldn't do this, but if they had a fair amount of marketing budget, I think that could drive people in stores. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely see that. I, you know, I think in general, Chico's has a lot of headwinds and, uh, you know, they're in malls They're you know, for a somewhat older customer, uh, they're in the apparel space, which has a bunch of indigenous challenges. And so you, you know, a lot of us assume they were on Amazon because they were somewhat distressed and, and, uh, needed to find some some uh some new eyeballs so there there's a school of thought that it wouldn't take that many net new customers walking into chico's to be favorable to chico's uh Ooh, my my middle schooler would say burn yeah yeah not don't mean it uh, to be particularly harsh but uh you know uh it, it they are one of the the first uh players in this category to try it so i'm i'm certainly watching and trying to learn uh we talked a little bit in the Walmart case about owned brands. Uh, Amazon, of course, is is uh, dominating the owned brand space. And they launched uh, what I think is an, another new one that we haven't talked about on the show yet. They launched WAG, which is their pet food brand. Um, they may have had a, a few SKUs, but they, they launched a whole line of dog foods. Um, and what's interesting to me is how robust the content and selling on Amazon is around WAG. So, you know, you you go to the the pet department on Amazon now, and it's a, a personalized, editorial-rich page. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like just another page in the Amazon catalog. It feels like a real landing page for pet owners. Um, and then the the department pages for WAG are, are super robust. And as is usually the case... Um, when Amazon makes PDPs for their own brands, uh, they really execute all the best practices. So whenever we're talking to a brand about, you know, what, what kind of content they ought to have in their PDPs, you know, we always use the Amazon own brands as examples. And these wag SKUs are going to be another, another good example. Like they're, they're very long, rich pages that have a lot more content to help you feel good about, you know, finding the right food for your dog than, you know, some of the national brands that have been selling on Amazon. Is MacGyver enjoying some wag dog food? Uh, so MacGyver is a super elite one percenter that's probably eating better than I am. Um, so no, <laughs> uh, uh, he he gets some fancy boutique food from you know I, uh, I a cow that was probably like massaged by a, a Japanese wagyu dude or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> He, he probably eats the best in our family, and uh, he also officially has the most expensive haircuts in our family. So, man, if you guys are adopting, I sign me up. You get a you get electric vehicle. Um, yeah. The three year old gets his own car meals. And, and parking spot, and the the dog gets a groomer that comes to the house and gives him a you know full day spa treatment. So yeah, um, nice. everyone in my family but me is living pretty high on the hog. So I you know someone's got to pay for all this. <laughs> 
Exactly. That's what you know. Uh, you were you were posting some uh, new job listings on uh, on uh, uh, Twitter the other day that you found interesting, and I'm like, I might need to do some of those to moonlight. Yeah, I thought you would be a good applicant for one of them. Uh, yeah, just sidebar, what was interesting there is uh, this was a recruiter on LinkedIn. He was saying, hey, I'm working with a large top-tier CPG brand that's looking for a head of e-commerce. And, you know, Amazon experience uh, is a is a would be is a very strong, nice to have kind of thing. So that was interesting. Like a year ago, no one would have thought to make that part of a job requirement for e-commerce at a CPG. And now it's it's kind of top top line. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's absolutely uh, interesting. And I probably would have applied, but you also forwarded it to our friend David, who I feel like is way more qualified. And so I didn't want to apply and then get rejected. Yeah. Well, just see. Yeah. Uh, so there were also two big tech conferences this week that, that we generally follow um, for big news that's going to affect the commerce space. Uh, Facebook's big developer conference. uh and I think there's some controversy. I'm still calling it F8, but I think you've, you've heard some people call it fate. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, don't know what the official ruling is there, but they had their conference two weeks ago. And then uh, this week was uh, Google I.O., which is their big developer conference. Did you have any uh, takeaways from uh, either of those? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about outside of retail. But I think probably the big news for this podcast is – there wasn't a lot of retail news, you know, so we've we've had, um, uh, you know, Google talking about the, you know, they're making some changes in commerce that we've covered on the show uh, with their new Express. It's kind of like a marketplace is how I think about it, but they, they've tweaked Google Express. Uh, and then Facebook had in the last uh, F8s or Fates, they have, you know, increasingly done a lot around Messenger and talking about transactions and their favorite company to talk about there is Everlane where you know they show the post transaction messaging happening in Facebook Messenger. I saw no e-commerce kind of related content from both these guys. Um, you know maybe the big news for me at Facebook is they reorged their entire development team um, and the guy that was uh, CEO of PayPal uh, who they moved to Messenger to do all these transactions things has now moved on to a new group called Blockchain Technologies. So it's kind of like he, you know, it felt like to me they threw this against the wall. Oh, let's go create a WeChat, Weibo type, you know, chat commerce thing. Uh, and it feels like either um, either he is moving on because he's not interested or they said, mm, let's try blockchain now. So, yeah, I may be reading too much into that, but I thought it was pretty interesting there. Yeah. And I think that was part of a bigger reorg. I think a bunch of execs kind of moved around. So it's it's uh, going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, from Google IO, I saw a few little things like in years past, there were much more substantial announcements that I felt were sort of core to commerce. Um, this year, uh, you know, before the conference, Google consolidated several payment technologies. And so now it's just Google pay, you know, which consolidated Google wallet and Google pay and Android pay. Um, and that, that is a digital wallet that's been available on apps on the Google ecosystem for a while. Um, but they extended it to the web, so you can now uh, use. If you are a Google Pay user, you can uh, pay uh, in a Chrome browser in a, a, a mobile web situation. If the if the e-commerce site supports that, uh, so there's a bunch of mobile websites out there that you know would probably benefit from adding support for Google Pay. Um, Apple did that uh, earlier uh, in the year, and so you know there's a couple reasons to up- update your uh, your mobile web experience. Uh, Google did announce some new versions of the Google Home that have screens in them, so you know in theory that could be richer commerce experiences. Uh, you know I'm not I'm not sure the the Alexa show with a screen has has been you know the 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 fast runner in the Alexa family, and so I, I kind of suspect. Uh, that 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 the Google Home screen will be even more niche. Um, Google has some does have some really interesting mobile technologies. So you know a big one that's getting a lot of traction is AMP, um, which is a technology for uh, rendering lighter weight, faster uh, rendering mobile pages. And originally, you know, it, it had some really great user experiences, but it came with a lot of baggage and was uh, kind of tightly constrained by Google. And Google's been 
kind of spinning it off and making it much more open and adding a bunch of capabilities that are a lot more e-commerce friendly. Um, and, and they're continuing to do that. So, you know, some of the, the complaints that people have had about AMP uh, for an e-commerce site, they've, they're addressing uh, in announcements from Google IO. So definitely if you're a e-commerce site, uh, I would be thinking about uh, implementing AMP in my mobile experience um, and then the other big mobile technology that Google really uh, was first to market with is progressive web apps, which is this kind of notion of uh, being able to download binary code on demand that have a real app-like experience um, without having to force the user to go through the app store and download an app and know their password and have pre-installed the app and and all of those sorts of things. Um, and uh, so they're, they're continuing to evolve PWAs but 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 that standard has never really gotten a lot of traction because it it wasn't supported in the Apple ecosystem, and uh, you know frankly the overwhelming majority of mobile commerce happens on Apple devices. So despite the fact that Google had this great support for PWAs, it didn't make a lot of sense for e-commerce sites to implement PWAs because you were only addressing the minority of the market uh, that were you know Google shoppers, um, and. Apple in their most recent operating system, uh, you know, for, uh, finally implemented PWAs on Safari. So now, um, you know, I expect we're going to start seeing that be a best practice as well. So add all those Google technologies together and a couple other things, and uh, almost every e-commerce site on the planet, you know, could probably do with a pretty substantial mobile update right now because there are so many new beneficial technologies. Hmm. Good thing to do before holiday. Uh, exactly. And, and if you're going to do that, you should probably be starting right now. Um, so feel free to, to, uh, call me at work and we'll take care of you. Um, but Scott, that's going to be a good place to end it for this week because, uh, we, we have used our allotted, allotted time as we're trying to, uh, shorten these up and make them just slightly more concise. Um, but if we've left you wanting more or you have any burning questions, uh, we'd love to continue the conversation on our Facebook page. So jump over there and uh, drop us a line. And uh, I mean, Scott hangs out there almost 24 seven. So um, you'll always, you always get a response there. Um, and of course, if uh, you enjoyed this show, uh, the best way you can repay us for all the time we put into it is to jump on the iTunes and give us that five-star review. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Until next time. Happy conversing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.